If we've not had the chance to meet, my name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here on the team at uh, Fellowship Greenville, and I am so thankful that you have joined us today, whether that be here in Auditorium 2 or over in Auditorium 1, or if you're watching us online today, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We say this a lot. We don't mean it flippantly. Uh, we know there are many places that you could be today, but the fact that you've chosen to be here with us, we don't take that for granted. So thank you so much for being here. And we hope that you find this church family to be a family that makes much of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. That is our desire. And we hope that you quickly realize how much we love and look forward to our, our weekly gathered times as a church family. I've always thought of Sunday as a time to come together and celebrate what the Lord has been doing in our life and through our life over the past seven days since we were last together. So we come together today, and I, as we come together today, I've been praying that you're encouraged at what the Lord is doing in your life, what the Lord is doing through your life no matter the circumstances of your life. Because that's the other thing I like to regularly acknowledge before studying the scripture. People here today are in different places when it comes to the circumstances of life. Obviously, I'm not just referring to you personally, although I am, but I would say oftentimes we're so focused on ourselves, even when we walk in in times of worship, that it never dawns on us what the person in front of us might be carrying or the person seated behind us might be carrying or the person to our left, what they might be carrying or the person to our right, what they might be carrying. So I've been praying as I've been studying this week that coming in today that in our short time together that no matter where you sit, no matter the circumstances of your life, that your heart and mind would be centered on the beauty of Jesus. I've prayed that this week. That your heart and mind would be centered on the hope of the gospel. That your heart and mind would be centered on who you are in Christ and how that impacts every moment of every day of your life, no matter what is going on in your life. Or as Paul Tripp says in his book, New Morning Mercies, Corporate worship is designed to confront you with a view that has at its center a dead man's cross and a living man's empty tomb. So when we pray together, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And would you take a moment and ask the Spirit through the Word to encourage the heart of the person seated to the left of you today. Pray the same for the person to the right of you. Pray the same for the person seated in front of you. Pray that for the person behind you. Father God, would you speak to me today and would you speak to us? Amen. So this morning we're picking up in our current sermon series entitled Seven 
what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Where we're walking through the first few chapters of uh, Revelation, and if you missed the first two weeks, I would encourage you to give them a listen. Charlie did a fantastic job of setting up the series as he walked through Revelation 1, and then last week walking through the letter, the message, the sermon from Jesus to the church of Ephesus. And that brings us to the letter, the sermon from Jesus that was to be delivered to the church, the Christ followers in the city of Smyrna. And if we go back to the map that we saw last week, there it is. All right, you can see if you were to sail from the island of Patmos where John is as he's writing, if you go about 50 miles, you would have found yourself at the port city of Ephesus. And then if you were to go up the coast, due north about 35 miles, you would find yourself in Smyrna. And uh, fun fact, uh, Smyrna is uh, still up and running and in existence today. It is now known as Izmir in western Turkey. And I've been thinking this week as I've been writing and prepping, and if I were to attempt to sum up the big idea of this letter to this church in Smyrna, it would be something along these lines. Hey, church, suffer well in light of what awaits you and what does not await you because of Jesus. Hey, church, suffer well in light of what awaits you and what does not await you because of Jesus. Now, there are probably a couple of things I need to take a moment and address before we walk through these four verses in Revelation 2. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. That's where we'll be, verses 8 through 11. But I want to take a minute and address a couple of things, especially if we're going to be talking about suffering and trials and hardship. Here's the first thing that I would say. We find ourselves, all of us, living in a society that is probably the worst in all of human history for preparing people to walk through suffering and trials and hardships well. Here's what I mean by that. In ancient cultures and other religions and ancient societies, like there was a belief in the next life. Most people believed in the supernatural, however they define that. They believed in the supernatural world. So they might be living at a time that's really hard and difficult. This world is nasty and it's painful. But you know what? This life is short-lived in light of forever. So I would obviously like to have money and I'd like to be happy and I'd like to find the love of my life. But since this is so short and what, what's important is that I live this life in such a way that I gain those things in the next life, then we'll put up with whatever it is that we're going through to get it later. We, however, find ourselves living in a secular world. And the secular world we find ourselves living in says, this is all there is. If you lose love, if you lose happiness, if you lose money, there is no consolation. All there is is this world. And even if we're Christ followers and we believe the Bible, the fact of the matter is we're also in our culture you can't separate yourself from it. You're in it. I heard this example. Don't ask a fish about water because the fish will say, what's water? It just surrounds them. And here we are as followers of Jesus, many of us, and we are in our society and we're in our culture. And what our culture is saying 24-7 is, if you face suffering, get away from it as quickly as possible. If someone has wronged you, if someone has made your life hard, sue them if you can sue them. Or at least post about it on social media and shame them. 
for the pain they've caused. Our culture is constantly telling us that we're supposed to be happy. Above all things is your happiness. And so get away from anything or anyone that threatens your happiness. You are the only one that matters. So as a result, this culture that we find ourselves in has not done a great job of preparing us for trials and suffering. The second thing I want to quickly acknowledge is um, there is a difference between pain and suffering that we all experience because we live in a broken world. Life happens and life is hard at times. And we long for Jesus' return and he's gonna make all things right. But we all experience that type of pain and that type of suffering at different times and in different ways. As opposed to suffering, pain, and trials that are projected upon you, upon me, from a fallen world because you love and follow Jesus. And that's what's in view as we look at this letter to the church of Smyrna. They were suffering at the hands of others because they were following Jesus, not just because life's hard and difficult at times. But what I said a few moments ago about suffering in our culture, it still applies. The temptation in our culture when we're opposed, when we are mocked, when we are vilified, when we are ostracized, when we are minimized for loving Jesus and following Jesus, the, the, the temptation is to what? For many of us, is to retaliate, is to be just as mean, if not meaner than the person who's being mean to you. It's to escape the situation, it's to write the person off, it's just to find people who believe everything that you believe and huddle with them until Jesus comes back. Or the temptation is to become disillusioned with God. God, don't you see what's going on? Do you care for me? And if you're like many others, myself included, when suffering and hardship comes for following Jesus, you might recognize these questions that I think a lot of us ask. Possibly you're asking them as well in your difficult times. Where are you, God? Are you aware of what I'm walking through? What are you gonna do about it? Where are you, God? Are you aware of what I'm walking through and what are you gonna do about it? And Jesus says to the church of Smyrna, keep suffering well. Because here's the deal. They were suffering well as they followed Jesus. And in his kindness, Jesus reminds them, I'm here. I know what you're walking through. I care about you. And I want to remind you what I have done and will do in regards to what you're suffering. So here's a little bit more background before we jump in. Um, much like Ephesus uh, that we discussed last week, it was one of the most important, Smyrna was one of the most important cities of the region of Asia. The population of the city at the time may have been upwards of 200,000 people. It would have made for one of the largest cities in the region. There was a harbor there, so it controlled a sizable trade route. It had a stadium. It had a library. It had the largest public theater in Asia. It was literally called the crown of Asia and the flower of Asia. That's what they called Smyrna. It is said to be the birthplace of the great poet 
Homer, and Smyrna would become the home of Bishop Polycarp, one of Christianity's most well-known martyrs. More on him in a bit. Smyrna was a city of wealth. It was a city of importance. And nowhere was the importance of the city on display more than in its relationship, Smyrna the city's relationship with Rome. Back in the day, all of the uh, Asian cities were in a competition to build a temple to honor the emperor Tiberius. And Smyrna won. So worship of the emperor in Smyrna was a fact of life, and it was, just so you know, central to life. And having all of this as the background is important because it significantly factors into the suffering and the persecution of the church in Smyrna. You see, the leaders of the day, uh, they didn't really care if you worship Jesus, to be honest with you, but you better also be worshiping the emperor. That was the deal. Make sure you sprinkle some incense on the fire which burned before the bust of Emperor Tiberius. But the Christ followers in Smyrna, they wouldn't do it. So there was hostility towards them. And some of that hostility was coming from other Jews who weren't followers of Jesus. And they were turning the Christ followers into the local authorities, leading them to be seen as committing treason. Where are you, God? Are you aware of what I'm walking through? What are you going to do about it? Here's what it says in Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, I don't know if you picked up on it as we read through, but Smyrna does not receive, it's interesting, Smyrna does not receive any complaint from the Lord. So here's just a quick reminder in case you missed it last week. In each of the seven messages to the seven churches, Jesus refers to himself using images uh, from his initial apocalypse recorded in Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. So he's always starting these letters with what we call uh, the Christ title. And then there's a commendation. So he offers encouraging things that he wants to acknowledge about the church. And then typically he goes into a complaint or a correction, a negative consequence. Like this is what I have against you. This is how you need to change. And if you don't change, here's what's coming. But it's really interesting, he does not do that with Smyrna. There is no complaint, yeah? There's no correction. There's not a negative consequence. For Smyrna, it's a Christ title, a commendation, and then straight to the encouragement and the positive consequence of their faithfulness. And of the seven churches, only Smyrna... And later on, we'll read about Philadelphia. 
They are the only two churches with no complaint and no correction. And I don't know about you, but for me, as I studied this week, and I realized that, I leaned in and wrote in my notes, would you tell me more about these Christ followers? Tell me more about the group where there is no complaint and there's no negative consequence. Especially if we know they're suffering for following Jesus. I want to know more about this group. I know we're going to get to all of them, but outside of this group in Philadelphia, there were some things that you were saying that you're not saying here. The fact of the matter is there are some of you in this room today that you sit here and there is a chance that you have stories of suffering for following Jesus. Or you are currently suffering in some way for following Jesus. Or you will, in the future, suffer for following Jesus. And maybe that's not you. But here's what you might not know. It might be the person in front of you. It might be the person behind you, to your left or to your right. I've had enough conversations through my years of being here that I know it's some of you. I know of people here who have fled countries because of persecution for being a Christ follower. That's what I'm saying. I think sometimes it's just so easy to process it just us and nobody else. And maybe your suffering is not the same as the church in Smyrna. But there might be some similarities. So how do we suffer well in light of what awaits us and what does not await us because of Jesus? This is what it says. Look back at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Hit pause there now. You have to realize that this is an incredible claim that Jesus is making, and he is reminding them, the church of Smyrna, of what the prophet Isaiah had written, which they would have been familiar with. I'll give you a few examples. I, Yahweh, am the first, and with the last, I am he, Isaiah 41.4. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me, Isaiah 43.10. I am the first and I am the last and there is no God beside me, Isaiah 44, 6. I am he, I am the first and I am the last, Isaiah 48, 12. Now here's why that matters. Jesus, with this Christ title, is reminding right out of the gate as they get the letter, he is reminding the church of Smyrna that their lives are firmly within the boundary of his loving and capable hands. Yeah? I am the first and I am the last, therefore I am with you in the in-between. Hey, church of Smyrna, your life is not blowing in the wind at the whim of Rome or whoever the Caesar happens to be. And I'll hit pause here and say to all of us gathered together, the same is true for you today if you are a follower of Jesus. Your life is not blowing in the wind at the whim of this cultural moment. 
Your life is not blowing in the wind, in the wind of the whim of a political climate or the power of the dollar. Do you follow Jesus? Great. He's the first. He's the last. He is with you in between. Your life, my life, are within the boundary of his loving and capable hands. So when we're persecuted and when sufferings arise and the question comes with the suffering, God, where are you? Jesus answers the church in Smyrna and says, I have always been, I will always be, I'm with you. Look at verse 9 with me, and as you do, you'll read the first two words of verse 9, and they are some of the most encouraging words you can read, I think, when you're walking through hardships and trials and suffering because you love and follow Jesus. This is what verse 9 says. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Did you see it? Jesus says... I know. I know. I was thinking about it this week. Those two words have been really important words in my most important relationships through the years. The words I know. Especially as I've sat with those that I love that are hurting and suffering. Especially when it's a hurt that I can identify with. Or when I've been hurting and someone has sat with me, right? I have two daughters when they have shared with me being crushed by someone's words. I know. When a good friend shares of frustration at work, I know. When I share of a frustration in marriage and a, someone close to me goes, I know. When a loved one has passed and you too have lost a loved one, I know. Or when life disappoints you or someone has let you down or you have been ridiculed, mocked, mistreated, minimized, ostracized for following Jesus, I know. What well, in my notes, but even the video today that we watched for region. There's power in sitting in the circle and you're opening up about what's going on in your life and the hardships of your life and there's eight other people who are sitting in the circle and they look back at you and what do they say? They say, I know. And Jesus looks at this church in Smyrna and in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their suffering, he says, I know. Because of course he does. He says it in some way, shape, or form to each of the seven churches, but to this group of Christ followers, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. I know that you're being slandered. Now, this word tribulation, is your bio, uh, or your Bible actually might say affliction, it's the Greek word uh, thalipsis, thalipsis, if you'd like to be real Greek. And uh, it's a word that means pressure. More specifically, it means crushing pressure. In the first century, it would have been a picture of someone being tortured to death by having a large boulder laid on them. 
How about that mental picture? So Jesus says, I know the crushing pressure you're living under. Now, for some of you, you do this easier than others, but I'll give the invitation again for everybody. Imagine being in this church at this point in time with everything that's going on, and you're getting the letter, and you're like, this is from Jesus, right? You're going, all right, let's read this. And you open it up, and this is how it begins. I know it's really tough on all of you right now. I know the crushing pressure. And if you're in that moment, you're just kind of working your way through the letter, what you might be thinking is, all right, I can't wait. He gets it. He knows. He's with us, and he knows. And then you keep reading. Because what you're hoping to read is what? What any of us would be hoping to read. Let me tell you how I'm going to remove the pressure, that you're, the pressure that you're under. Let me tell you how I'm going to get rid of the big rock that's on you. But he doesn't. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. I know the great pressure. The poverty and the slander. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Wow. Again, hang with me on this. If you look at almost all the other letters, those churches, the other, the other churches, they've done something or not done something where Jesus is bringing some complaint and correction and here's a negative consequence. But that's not the case here with the church in Smyrna. They haven't left their first love like Ephesus. And as a result, there's crushing pressure. And I'll throw that out there to you. Like if you are interested in not having crushing pressure for following after Jesus, then there is a way out of that. And the way out of that is don't follow Jesus. Right? And Jesus is saying, don't fear. Some of you are headed to prison and some of you are going to be killed. So for review, the church of Smyrna was suffering poverty because they weren't taking part in the pagan worship economy. Probably had a harder time finding jobs since they were followers of Jesus and everybody was talking about them. They were suffering slander. We don't know all that that entails, but it means that they were being slandered enough that the Roman authorities of the day think that they, as followers of Jesus, are a threat to their power, which leads not just to poverty and not just to slander, but also imprisonment. And the 10 days talked about here, it has a few different interpretations depending on what you read. Maybe he means a literal 10 days. Maybe he's simply implying a short period of time. But really the point that Jesus is making, I do believe this, to this church is he's reminding them that he's in control. Or as author Daryl Johnson says, I thought this was so good. He says, political and religious, for, uh, religious forces have free will. The spiritual forces of darkness have free will. But they exist only by permission of God. And their power is limited by God. Evil is on a leash. Its pressure has a limit. Now, I read that quote, and I was like, man, that is a, that's strong. I like that. But I also have to acknowledge that I'm looking at that going, that's great, living where I live, in the time that I live, right? 
Again, I don't know how much that kind of thought really helps them in the moment. So poverty, slander, imprisonment, death, being martyred. God, where are you? I'm the first and I'm the last and I'm with you right now. God, are you aware of what's going on? I know. And again, this week as I was studying, I wrote this down in my notes. Um, Jason, how would you have fared in Smyrna as a follower of Jesus? You guys want to try it? Do it. Go ahead. Your name, not mine. I'm fine. I'm working on me. You go ahead. Put your name in there. Just think about it for a second. Your name. And then how would you have fared in Smyrna? as a follower of Jesus. Would Jesus have found anything commendable in my response to state-sponsored persecution? Is my faith in Jesus Christ such that it would survive even thrive in the midst of such threats. Now, here's the reason I'm asking the question and asking you to ask the question. Because I know the temptation. The temptation is to push off what we're reading about in Smyrna as something that is distant, foreign to us. For many of us, it simply isn't something that we worry about day in and day out. We regularly around here articulate how thankful we are for the great freedoms that we enjoy to gather and to open up God's word and to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness. So how can we, if we're not currently suffering any way, how can we avoid simply passing off what we're studying this morning? and be, that, That's meant for other Christians in other places. And maybe even some Christians today in some other places, but that's not us. Because if you remember, uh, we said that what Christ says to each of these seven churches is intended for the whole church. So clearly there's something meant for us here in what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. But what is it? Well, at least in part, I think it's this. This reason I had you asking the questions of yourself, and I was asking the questions of myself. We should not assume that we will be able to bear up under suffering if we are not preparing our hearts and minds for suffering in the here and now. When in many ways we experience freedom and peace. Does that make sense? Or as pastor and author Tim Keller said back in the day, and it just stuck with me, everybody eventually ends up with a theology of suffering. This world's too broken that you don't end up with that. What would it look like to wrestle that theology to the ground, not in the midst of the suffering, but before the suffering? Because we don't go looking for suffering and persecution, but we can do much to strengthen the fortress of our faith by growing in our understanding of what God's word says about suffering and about loss and about persecution 
and what it means to cherish and treasure Christ in the midst of that and how we can have hope when things do go sideways because then recognizing the world will stand in opposition to the things of God and the people of God. If you know that, then suffering doesn't come as an overwhelming surprise that robs us of our confidence in Christ. Instead, suffering reminds us that we belong to Christ, like the church in Smyrna. That we're facing these things because we actually are associated with Christ. And that because of who we are in Christ, we know that our hope is secure. Our foundation is sure. Our confidence is in the one who was before all things and in whom all things hold together. The one who is surprised by nothing. So yeah, we can't perfectly prepare for persecution because there is no way that we can mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually simulate it. But prepare we must. And while suffering and persecution might not be your story currently, I said it once, I'll say it again. It might be the story of the person sitting to your left, your right, in front of you, or behind you today. Maybe you have already experienced some measure of being ostracized for your faith. That's the story of some of you. I talked about that several weeks ago when we were in Acts, and I was talking about the boldness of the disciples back in the day. Maybe you've been minimized or cut out at at your job or at school. Because you follow Jesus. Maybe you have family who, they don't want anything to do with you because you're too serious about your faith in Jesus. And they say, you're welcome to come over and hang out, but we don't want to hear the Jesus stuff. And you're going, all I want to talk about, honestly, is Jesus stuff because I really do love Jesus. Maybe the culture that you live in day in and day out has labeled you anti-something because you love and follow Jesus. Maybe they've called you anti-choice because you believe in the value of every life. Maybe they've called you anti-gay because you believe in the biblical definition of marriage. Maybe they call you anti-intellectual because you don't embrace biological evolution. And it's not just, and you know this, for some of you in the room, it's not that you've just been called anti-something. It's that you're being treated as narrow-minded, intolerant, a bigot. And you might be tempted to think the best thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is just try to disappear. Not rock the boat. Or, the flip side of that, maybe your temptation is to fight. As I said when we first began, you want to retaliate. Be just as mean, if not meaner, than the person being mean to you. Escape the situation. Write the person off. Just find people that believe everything you believe and huddle with them and wait for Jesus to come back. Or become disillusioned that God cares for you and knows what's going on with you. Jesus says to the church of Smyrna two things. He says, do not fear and be faithful even though some of you are facing death, right? Jesus does not take away their poverty. Jesus does not clear their name as they are slandered. He does not break them out of jail. 
As a matter of fact, he tells them, Satan is working things in such a way to throw some of you in jail and some of you are gonna die. And Jesus does not step in and change them circum- their circumstances. And I know that flies in the face of Western evangelical Christianity that keeps telling you that it's all about your happiness and having your best life now. Because the church of Smyrna would have looked back at you and said, nah, I don't think so. And you know what I know that the church of Smyrna also knew. They knew of other circumstances and instances where things did get changed up. God, I I know you've broken people out of jail before. I think one way to process this is by asking, why do Christians suffer persecution? That's a legitimate question. I think another question you could ask is this. uh, Why do Christians not suffer persecution? I love this quote by John Stott. The ugly truth is that we tend to avoid suffering by compromise. Our moral standards are often not noticeably higher than the standards of the world. Our lives do not challenge and rebuke unbelievers by their integrity or purity or love. Did you see how? says that, integrity or purity or love. The world sees in us nothing to hate. God, where are you? I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm with you right now. God, are you aware of what's going on? I know. God, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about my suffering? I'm gonna encourage you to not be afraid and to be faithful. I'm gonna encourage you to suffer well in light of what awaits you and what doesn't await you. Look back at the end of verse 10 into verse 11. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus tells them what awaits you Don't fear, be faithful. What awaits you is the crown of life. And this refers to the victor's crown. Smyrna had athletic games and they were famous all throughout Asia. And those who finished the race were given what was called the Stephanos, which is a wreath. To those who persevere, you receive the crown of life that will not fade. It will not wither a crown that is life itself. And then Jesus promises that those who persevere and conquer, that not only will they get, receive the crown of life, but they won't be hurt by the second death. Suffer well, what awaits you is the crown of life, and what doesn't await you is the second death. Thanks be to Jesus. You see, the first death, we all die. But the second death, the death that is eternal separation from God, you don't ever experience as you are faithful unto death, the first death. John actually talks about second death three other times in Revelation, and he's referring to eternal punishment. He's talking about the lake of fire. He's talking about hell. And John is telling those suffering in Smyrna because of their faith in Jesus, no matter how much suffering you endure in the present moment, you will never suffer spiritually in the future. Be faithful if your first death is imminent because you will never die again. And guess what? Of the seven churches Jesus addresses, only the church of Smyrna still exist. 
How cool is that? Oh, by the way, there has continued to be pressure there in Western Turkey for the followers of Jesus. But many of them have overcome their fear and kept the faith. So, just real practically, how do you and I suffer well now and or in the future? Fear not. Be faithful. Faith over fear. Faith over fear because God is with you in the midst of your suffering, if that's you today. Faith over fear because he knows of your suffering, if that's you today. Faith over fear in the one who has promised us the crown of life instead of the lake of fire. Faith over fear because of the unbelievable and merciful exchange where Jesus died that we might live. And he suffered that we would never know the ultimate suffering, which is eternal separation from him. It was 156 AD, so about 50 years after John uh, had written this letter had arrived to the church of Smyrna. And in Smyrna, the city was buzzing because a public trial was taking place. One of the most well-known and respected leaders of the growing movement known as Christianity was a man by the name of Polycarp. And he was being brought before the leaders of the city for trial. And you might say, well, why is that? Because he refused to burn incense to the emperor of Rome. Sound familiar? Sure. Polycarp was known as a great preacher. He was a leader amongst the people. He led the church in the city of Smyrna. He'd actually been a disciple of John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse, but I'll read it to you. In John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Remember that? And all these years later, John has someone that he's discipled by the name of Polycarp. And the meaning of the name Polycarp is... Much fruit. That's pretty cool. By this time, Polycarp's around 86 years old. He was brought into a stadium before the Roman authorities. He's accused of being a Christian who refuses to pay homage to the emperor by burning incense to him. He's not going to declare his allegiance to him. Effectively, he's not going to worship him. And the proconsul pressed him to recant his faith in Christ, to pay homage to the emperor so that his life might be spared because, you see, Polycarp's decision to honor Christ in that moment had far-reaching consequences. It was a death sentence. The Roman authorities threatened to feed him to wild animals. He was threatened to be burned alive. And at one point in the trial, the proconsul tells him, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent. And then a bit later, swear and I will set you at liberty, reproach Christ. And the invitation's clear, abandon Christ or face imminent death. And Polycarp's response, knowing full well that this will be his fate, this is what he is known for saying. 80 and six years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. 
How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And not long after that, he's burned at the stake for his refusal to recant his faith in Christ. And it is a powerful, true story of faith over fear. And I can't help but wonder in those moments if Polycarp's anything like me, anything like you. Hey God, where are you? I'm the first and I'm the last and I'm with you right now. God, are you aware of what's going on? Yeah, I know. God, what are you gonna do about it? I'm gonna encourage you not to be afraid and to be faithful, to suffer well in light of what awaits you, the crown of life, and what does not await you, the second death. There's no way in that moment that Polycarp is not remembering what Jesus had said to the church of Smyrna some 55 years earlier. person who had resolved in their heart and mind, no matter what comes, I will choose faith over fear because what awaits me is the crown of life and I will never suffer the second death. So you can take this life. I don't die again. Right? May the same be said of us. May that truth allow us to suffer well whenever that suffering comes, if the suffering is currently happening for you. Faith over fear. The crown of life awaits. And there is no second death. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm always thankful for the opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters. I pray to have our hearts encouraged. Sometimes the passages are so uh, uplifting, joyful. And sometimes the passages are really difficult. And even in the midst of that, there is still hope because of who you are and who we are in you. So on one hand, would you forgive us for going about what we would call our church life and rarely thinking about the person in front of us, behind us, or beside us? And at the same time, would you allow us in this moment today to think of our brothers and sisters, some in this church family who are suffering in some way for following you? And then allow us to acknowledge that we don't know all that the future holds and what our everyday life looks like and what suffering and persecution could look like. But Father God, would you let this place, Fellowship Greenville, the people who make up this place of Fellowship Greenville, do the work of thinking well about a theology of suffering that is biblical, rooted in you, who we are in you, and what that means for our forever. If we've been tempted to 
just be quiet and not rock the boat. Forgive us for being fearful. If we've been mean and just tried to shout louder than the person who's coming after us, would you forgive us for not living any differently than the world we find ourselves in? Thank you for the crown of life. Thank you because of Jesus, there is no second death for those of us that are in him. It really does change everything. Amen.